Hello and welcome to the CNB podcast. I'm Will Monroe and today we are going to be doing a quick discussion with one of our longest standing members of the Corny and Barrow fine wine sales team, Edward Pilkington. Uh, it's part of a mini series that we're doing to coincide with the Bordeaux on Premier campaign. So it's May 2023 at the moment. We're doing the 2022 vintage, but we're stepping a little bit away from that. And we're going to focus on Bordeaux as a more general region. And Edward is going to take us away with a short discussion on white Bordeaux, which also includes Sauterne. So, Ed, how are you doing? Good to see you, Will, and be chatting to you on White Bordeaux this morning. So I joined Corning and Barrow in August 99. So I'm coming up for 24 years at Corning and Barrow, which is a, a, quite a milestone. I think it's ca- carriage clock time when I hit 25 years. But So I look after um, private customers, but I also do a little bit of our corporate business and, and a little bit of on-trade as well. So a bit of jack of all sales, but um, it's it's fun to have a few different sides to my sort of sales um, remit there. So quite interesting there. So a little bit of history on white Bordeaux. Um, it's sort of most traditionally Bordeaux was around about 50-50 white and red production. And I think we all knew way back that the Reds were going to be the sort of to the fore. So it was interesting times, but it is a very old area, the Grave. Um, and I think the Romans, well, this was their sort of first vineyard area. So there's a lot of history here. For white Bordeaux, which is what we're talking about today, it's where traditionally they all come from and where all the big names are now. And I think it was probably a combination of a a frost and a sort of change in fashion for wine. It came about in 1956. There was an enormous, really devastating frost. And after that, a lot of the vineyards were predominantly replanted with red. So white is the lesser sibling, if you like now. But it was an individual I always felt that perhaps revived it as a slightly more fashionable drink. And a guy called Denis Dubordier, who was a professor at the um, Enology Bordeaux University. And it was his sort of experiments with yeasts and skin contact and oak aging that perhaps revived through the sort of late 80s and, and 90s where white Bordeaux has got to today. Mm. But you mentioned that white mostly comes from the Grave region. Could you let us know whereabouts that is geographically in Bordeaux? Because it's sort of set to a lot of the other classic sort of red regions of Bordeaux and very little was made on the right bank, if I'm correct. Yeah, so it's quite an interesting area because a lot of the vineyards have been lost to urban sprawl, if you like. So as Bordeaux has moved south into where the heartland of the Grave is, which is all to the south of the city, we have lost a lot of old vineyards, particularly more, I would say, the sort of Merignac Bordeaux airport area um, to the south. It have actually been growing a bit, but we have lost a lot of vineyard area. So it, it is to the south of the city of Bordeaux that we see a lot of these vineyards, and a lot of them are in quite urban areas. I mean, anyone mm. that's tried to find the UGC tastings um, in Pessat Lyonnais, it's often the one you get the most lost trying to find i think they're not mm. they're not easy to find but they are a lot of them are quite in quite built up areas particularly sort of peak caillou Aubryon, la mission area yeah quite it's quite an urban area it's quite quite strange in a way 
Mm. It's interesting that sort of in the UK, you get cities sprawling out, taking over sort of land and connecting with other places. And in France, it's very much the vineyards are getting lost when they're doing that. But it is quite cool driving around Bordeaux City and seeing these vineyards on the left of the road. But being urban area has changed the sort of characteristics of some of the climate, really. So you're getting hotter little pockets. I mean, the woodland area that Prague is quite well known for does mean for slightly different microclimates. But because of that sprawl moving out, some quite hot vineyards areas there. And they Mm. are often the first to pick um, in, in late August. So could you talk about the the different styles of whites that they have in in Bordeaux? So you've got two styles, and I think first and foremost, people will stop and think of the sweet wines, but I think the the dry whites are very important as well. And I would say there's probably, you know, they're getting better known. And within dry, there's probably two styles. You've got the slightly fresher, more herbaceous style that you would get from the more Sauvignon-dominated whites. But obviously, there's there's several other grapes that are used for white wines, and Semillon is the next big grape in the style. So for those that are semi-on dominated, you're going to get something that's just a little bit rounder and a little bit fuller, slightly more honeyed textured styles of whites. And I think, you know, when you move away from the Grave, you'll find that there's a bit more experimenting going on. You've even seen some Chardonnay now, but stylistically, you're still getting a normal, the standard blend, which is sort of normally about 80 Sauvignon, 20% Semillon. Mm. Interesting. They sort of follow the same route as the Reds, where it's all about blending, I guess. Bordeaux is a region for blending and the whites are no different, I take it then. Yeah, I I wouldn't, you know, there are probably a handful. There are certainly one or two Sauternes that would probably say that they're very high, even sometimes 100% Semillon. And you might get one or two dries that are 100% Sauvignon. It's rare to find 100% Sauvignon. There there are a handful, I think, but there's a nice marriage that you get from blending those two grapes. Mm. Um, So you've got the freshness, the more grapefruity gooseberry notes coming through from um, Sauvignon. But often that can be too sort of vibrant a style of white, I think, for a lot of palettes. So the Semillon brings a sort of richer, more sort of apple pear roundness to the blend. So it sort of mm. mellows down a bit. And Semillon's quite neutral, a grape in its youth, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. the Sauvignon just lifts it in its youth. And I think that's another sort of lesser known sort of fact that actually there is a sort of reason stylistically behind that blend as well. And recently with white Bordeaux, I found uh, it's nowhere near as popular as red Bordeaux when it comes to releasing the wines. But I have found that with white Burgundy getting increasingly expensive, people have revisited white Bordeaux again because you can still get some great buys Mm -hmm. in the sort of 20 to 30 pound range, which is increasingly rare with white Burgundy. Do you see a a, a bigger future for white Bordeaux or do you think it's still going to be on the peripheries of the region? I think there is going to be off the back of, you know, even just generic Bourgogne white becoming really pretty unaffordable at times. And I think there are the wine drinker is going to look elsewhere for value and if you think that you know on our list we've got dry white bordeaux from i think the fleur de grave is about 1450 and Mm. then we've got sort of more at the top end we've got ferron at about 25 pounds picayou is when it is in stock is probably a similar price so you're getting into a good name there for Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um 25 ish all in a bottle 
whereas 25 all in a bottle in Burgundy is, is practically Macron yeah. territory price now. <laughs> so yes, that, yeah. there's an opportunity there for them. I find that they aren't the most versatile, but they have that incredible, I, I love the texture of the wines. It's, it, and that's why they require food sometimes. Yeah. They have that sort of driving backbone that comes through with the Sauvignon Blanc. You've got that lovely weightiness, as you were saying, the Semillon. But when they're blended well, you get that real kick up the backside. Yeah. And that's why they're sort of, I find them so impressive. Yeah. And at the very top end, I think price-wise, they just, they just seem so friendly compared to a lot of other regions. And this is one of the great, great famous wine regions mm -hmm. of the world. So I think it's an interesting area. I'm recommending and encouraging them to people to drink them more. Moving on to probably what is they're slightly more famous for in, 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 in the same area, sweet wines and obviously Sultan. Could you tell us a little bit about the sweet wines of Bordeaux? Yeah, so this is clearly what they're known for. And if you think back to the Paps now, rather outdated 1855 classification Bordeaux, the, the Sauterne Chateaus were included in that. Um, and Ekem is ranked as a premier cru superior. So that's, you know, that's always been top of the pile. But historically, yes, this is what the area, as far as white wines, it is better known for. And th these are beautiful wines and, and still offer a lot of people, a lot of wine buyers' radars. And they really should be on there because like the dry whites like we've been talking about there's tremendous value here you know you'd be able to pick mm. up a lot of these the, the good names from that original classification mm -hmm. for probably three to four hundred pounds on primeur for a sort of premier crew and slightly lower names from the second growths like fio doisy Vergine, you, you might be able to pick up for sometimes under 300 pounds on primeur and for yeah. wines that have the longevity that they do you sort of pounds for points per you know for aging as well is pretty healthy ratio there mm. um, and they use sorry they use more they use the same grapes don't they but the winemaking is completely different yes so the key th so the grapes are the same there will be probably higher percentage of semillon because semillon is more susceptible to noble rot because the, the bunches are quite tight so the noble rot, which we'll talk about in a set, will settle on, on those grapes quicker. And then you've obviously got the Sauvignon Blanc, um, a little bit of Muscadelle, which you see now and again, and a little bit of Sauvignon Gris. Muscadelle brings a bit of lift and a bit of scentedness to the younger Sauternes. And Sauvignon Gris, which you're seeing a bit more of, is quite an interesting one, perhaps more in the dry whites, but does bring a mm. bit more texture and, and, and richness and roundness to, to the whites. But so Sauternes are the, the noble rot's the key thing. And when you get the sort of ideal conditions are cool autumn mornings and then warm sunny days. So quite you need quite still, those sort of classic crispy type autumn days. So what the rot does is that it actually very simply it reduces the water content in the grapes. So what you're left with is higher natural sugar levels. Is because remember these are naturally sweet white wines and i think aging wise beautiful and and real bargains definitely vineous bargains mm. yeah i mean they 
essentials to have in the kit tucked away in the cellar because pulling out one of those which you've forgotten about for a few years is always a pretty enjoyable experience and everyone there's there is definitely uh, this idea that you've got to mature them for for so long but I've noticed that there's been a um recently a big push in actually enjoying them quite young do you have much experience with popping them when they're really young and just sort of having them fresh and, and ready to go yeah I mean, they are, you know, these are wines that are made to drink. Yes, they age and they can, at the top end, can go 30 to 50 years plus easily. But as you say, they're often brilliant at about four or five years, you know, once they've sort of settled down a bit in bottle. And you probably, if you want that freshness that you're perhaps going to get from those non-semillon grapes that we talked about, you're going to get that freshness that will often work with the sort of lighter style sort of food-wise desserts. So I think it's worth looking out for. I mean, our Cunimbaro Sauterne is currently, I think it's fourteen ninety-five, and it is, mm. I think it's a 15 vintage at the moment or possibly a 17 yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's a good example that of a Sauterne that is right there in its youth has got that mm. freshness that we're talking about. So, yes, definitely can be drunk young as well. Yeah. And I, I was, um, we just did a Sauterne tasting, lucky us, in the office quite recently. They were saying that, and, and which people of colleagues and customers have put into practice, is if you get, if you have slightly, maybe a higher end one, a fancier one, you can open it and leave it in the fridge for a week and it will be absolutely fine. The pressure sometimes to open a bottle and finish it, especially with a dessert wine or a sweet wine or um, anything like that can be, you know, quite intense. You know, at the end of the day, you've got this enormous bottle of sweet wine to get through. But they do sit remarkably well, much better than most dry wines as well. So um, there, there's always that element too that they just won't won't go off as quickly. I don't think I've met a single person that doesn't like Sauterne. <laughs> uh, even people that tend to not drink much wine at all seem to always like it. There's something about um, it's. There's something quite innocent about it because it, sweetness is sort of your first enjoyable taste, and Sauterne is. It really sums that up, I think, in, in wine. It, it's awesome. Yeah. So with that, um, I, mean, I think if you ask a lot of people that what their first sort of entry was into fine wine, what's the first sort of great, truly great wine that they can remember? It often was a Sauterne. Yeah. Well, they're affordable yeah. and, and, and a lot of them are very affordable and they are fine, yeah. very fine wines. Um, best vintages of Sauterne, do you think, um, that out there? Yeah. Uh... I mean, I've been lucky. I've tried some epic wines going way, way back. But, you know, of more recent vintages, obviously look out for 97, 2007, 2001. And if mm. you know your Bordeaux vintages, you'll know that those are all relatively off vintages for the reds. And that's what's quite interesting. So it's never a given that a great vintage in Bordeaux is a great vintage for both styles, i.e. red and white. Um, mm. So you'll need to know your stuff a little bit more but obviously it's the longer more sort of indian summer style vintages where you get the great vintages and um, 21 is going to be a great vintage for the dry white so that's a quite a useful one because you, you can still go back in mm. and buy those now but yeah 0197 all those lovely vintages that we've had that are near enough to still find that sort of style that sort of so those so turns on the vintage yeah i think i think 94 
which is my my birth year is cr- rubbish everywhere but i think white bordeaux for some reason yeah is actually okay there but it just really sums it up that um it's nice that they sort of reverse a little bit it's rare that you often get both really flying in the same vintage it also might mean that the price is extremely high if they do um but yeah it's quite good to balance it out like that um, is there anything in particular that would be on your shopping list from Sauterne each year? I, yes, I mean, I love, I, I love to have a few halves. Um, so, and actually what's handy now is that a lot of the domains sell in 12 bottle, half bottle cases. So ha- have a look out though for second wines as some of the Sauternes as well, because they're quite decent buys. And I think you can be picking up those for probably well under 200 case. Um, yeah. And for the dry whites, you know, Peak Caillou we sell every year. That's always a lovely buy. And again, in a handy six bottle case. But it is amazing to, to sort of familiarize yourself when you go out there. You see all the lovely names that perhaps we don't see back here. And I've just been in Bordeaux tasting the 22s. And, you know, I came across names that I haven't seen for ages, like Olivier, Chantegrive, uh, Raoul. You know, there's just three that you hardly ever see in the UK that are still great, decent buys for dry white Bordeaux. Yeah, yeah. And then on the Sauternes, there's one that I would pick out, which you don't see that much of, is Fio, mm. uh, which is the yeah. second growth Sauternes. I would think that's a decent buy. Excellent. Well, I think we've done a good uh, amount of coverage there and a little snapshot into the, the world of white Bordeaux and Sauternes. Edward, thank you very much for your time this morning. Um, Really, really interesting. Um, I know that Corny's will be running a 2022 offer on on, on various wines that we've mentioned. However, going forward generally, I think most people should be keeping an eye out for these kind of wines. They're great value for money. They're from a historic, legendary wine region, and they're made to the very, very best that you can really get out there, to the best quality that you can get out there. So, Edward, yeah, thank you for your time this morning. Um, Many thanks, Will. We will uh, hopefully see you soon. Thank you.